Welcome to Through the Line, the Agency Squared podcast with me, Andy Bargery. I've worked in marketing now for well over 20 years, and one thing that has been constant in that time is change. There is always something new grabbing our attention. It might be a new social media platform, a new piece of tech like AI, which is big in the news at the moment, or a new approach to understanding our audiences or even a new agency or a new client. But change is one of those things that not everybody likes. And if we are to build effective, resilient marketing teams, we need to understand how to handle that change, how to become resilient. So I invited Joe Twizzleton from Twist Consultants, an expert in building resilience in teams and how to handle change, to come on and explore this subject in a bit of detail. I hope that you enjoy the show. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing today? Morning, Andy. I'm very well, thank you. And I hope you are too. I am indeed. It's good that we finally get a chance to talk. Uh, We've been, I guess, bandying this around for a little while, but it's great to finally get you on the show to talk about all things resilience. How do you build a resilient marketing team? Um, Which I think is a really important subject, isn't it? Given, Mm. I guess, the two big drivers there in marketing is, well, it's a very changeable environment. We're forever inventing new ways of trying to sell things to people or to communicate with people. But also, I guess, we're off the back of a pretty challenging time for most people when we look back at the pandemic and how that's changed our worlds. I think we've all had to become a bit more resilient, whether whatever our line of work is really. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to unpack what this means to you in terms of resilience and how do you, how do you build teams that are able to cope with the stresses and challenges and the changes involved in the modern marketing or modern workplace? But before we get into the details, why don't you just tell us a little bit about how you got to a point where you've got some expertise in this space? Yes, I'll try and keep it short. (laughs) So I I actually started off um, the biggest phase of my career in marketing, uh, having seen someone do that job. And I thought it'd be very cool because I really enjoy writing and communicating. Saw that as a way in. Took my CIM postgrad diploma Um, And what I found really fascinating and what I still find fascinating is understanding how people tick. So that's really what was underneath it. Um, Fast forward a few years, I couldn't get a job in the UK doing marketing. So I did get a job in Nokia in Helsinki. So I spent four years working with them, came back in a role of head of communications. And really, after that, had a couple more jobs and then went out on my own. And just by a complete fluke, ended up in a project, which I now recognise as a large-scale change project, supporting with the communication service back 2004. Got really interested in the value that communication can add to change because it creates clarity for people so they understand what's happening, they get data and information, and that can really help people's well-being. I had a couple of wobbly change moments in my own career a little bit earlier, and I recognised the impact that had on me personally. So there's a bit of, I know we can do this stuff better, and that's kind of what drives it, really. So any sort of change, so it could be large-scale IT shift or a restructure, we'll be seeing a little bit of that coming up. Uh, or we are actually at the moment, mm. um, different tech coming in, the speed and velocity that we're seeing at the moment and the volume of it all. And also things like 
bigger stuff like climate change. So they all have an individual impact. So that's how I got really interested. And it's kind of, um, it's not been a real plan to get here, but it's how it all fits together. So I look at it all holistically. Change, communication, uh, the whole people piece, well-being, resilience, that type of stuff. Got you. Okay. And and I think that change, I don't know who said change is a constant, but it makes perfect sense, particularly Mm. in this day and age where there's always something new happening. And in a marketing context, that might be a new approach a new communications channel or it could be MA, it could be agencies coming together which happens frequently and, and i've been through that environment as well where mm-hmm. two different agencies are brought together and and that hasn't worked and you've seen the impact on the people with different organizational cultures that just haven't gelled haven't meshed very well so i i think resilience is really important mm. but what do we really mean by resilience what what is resilience so, well, before I answer that, what do you, what would you describe it as? Gosh, you're throwing it back at me. I thought <laughs> I was going to ask a question here. What do I think resilience is? An ability to be able to adapt, to cope, to flex, to be able to handle pressure and stress, I suppose. How's that? Spot on. And you didn't use the bounce back thing, which is brilliant. So, um <laughs> There's a quote from Mind, the mental health charity that I use as a definition, which I think is spot on, but you've actually done it. So I'll just repeat the quote. Uh So it's not just your ability to bounce back. So you often see resilience talked about as an ability to bounce back. Yeah. But it's also the capacity to adapt in the face of challenging circumstances while you maintain stable mental well-being. So it's not getting sucked in to you know so you're not getting this kind of roller I'm, I'm making a roller coaster sign with my hand but to try and keep some stability yes. in your own well-being and is that the same for personal resilience as it is for organizational resilience can we have from an organizational perspective are we as a business set up to be able to cope with change to be able to roll with the punches as it were again really good question Andy so organizational resilience is around for me is around an organization that feels fairly stable despite what else is going on around it um so it can there's a healthy recognition of risk um understanding challenges a little bit of foresight and really being on the pulse of understanding what's coming up really for them we're never going to know exactly what's going to happen but if you've got the right foundations in and at same at an individual level then you you're able to roll with the punches almost got you okay so there's a real sense that for for you resilience and change almost come together don't they in terms of you to be able to cope with manage deliver some kind of change you need to have that resilience in the first place perhaps yeah or learn how to build it yeah okay yeah so 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 let's go let's focus on that then for a second how how do you build personal resilience what are the things that make an individual able to be resilient so there are tons of things that you can do (laughs) it's a half an hour show it's a half an hour show so let's let's focus on um some key things and again what i always say is 
there's lots of things that you could do. But what you can actually do is if you're not careful, you can make yourself anxious that you're not doing the right things and give yourself a shopping list of things to do. So it's all about, for me, it's all about trying and seeing what works for people. I think through the pandemic, I'd love to get your view on this. We saw loads of stuff about get outside, eat well, sleep well, journal, gratitude practice, blah, blah. And it was a bit like, whoa, this is a little bit overwhelming if I try and do all these things. So it's really about picking off things that work for you. Um, trying them out and see what happens mm. and then gradually incorporating them into way into the way that you are so uh, or the way that you live really so I'll give you a, just a few examples um, there's things around uh, personal energy so how do you keep your energy up so how do you sustain your energy to be able to keep going and have the capacity to do that so I'll give you a, a personal uh, view of okay. this I know that I cannot function properly without at least eight hours sleep a night. I can try and do that, but the end result is not going to be great. And then what happens if if I know that I'm having less sleep over a sustained period of time, I start to get physically ill and that will be a cold. So I have a cold at the moment. So I know that I've been burning the candle at every candle that you could throw at me. <laughs> For the last few weeks, I've had quite a busy diary but I haven't had enough step back time to kind of regroup and then go forward again. So I know that I need enough sleep. I need to eat well. I'm allowed to eat. I kind of give myself permission to eat chocolate. So that's fine. That's part of well-being as far as I'm concerned, Joe. Exactly. Yeah. Happy hormones. So for me, it's sleeping, healthy eating for me. And, and there is a an adage of you get out what you put in. So, um, yeah, that applies to eating for me. Staying hydrated, you will have heard all these things. And the, the biggest one for me, aside from sleep, is connection with nature. So that is a biggie for me. Okay. So during the pandemic, I used to, when we could, I walked every morning. So it would be the thing that we did in our house when we could go out for a walk, we did. And uh, got into a habit of taking a photo and posting it on Instagram every day. That wasn't for me. And it, it was for me, actually, sorry, not for everybody else, but it was a commitment to me that I'd done it. And what that did was really got me in the vein of really noticing what was going on around me, which made okay. me much more mindful of what was going on around me. So I got out of my head a bit because I found the first few months of the pandemic very stressful, like a lot of other people did. And I found it really calming. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I think what I'm feeling there is just an awareness of your personal requirements to be able to perform at your best. So you're aware that without sleep, with the wrong food, without that connection to nature, then you'll be able to function, but not to the best of your ability. And I think that that's probably something that comes with experience, I suppose, when you're first in your first job, you're pretty young. Don't take this offensively. Joe, no, 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 no. You're absolutely yeah. fine. <laughs> when, when you're when we're when we're younger, uh, we are a little bit more bomb proof. And, you know, we feel like we can still take on the world, don't we? And I yes. think as you get a bit um, more experienced, let's put it that way, then yes. <laughs> you you certainly feel it more, you know. Yes. 
it takes longer to recover from exertion. That's it. And I think it's such a good point, Andy. It's the self-awareness that you're able to build as you go through. So if you think of an organisation where um, that feels like a, a good organisation where well-being is high up the list of priorities, individual well-being, there's space to be able to reflect on stuff that's gone well or hasn't gone well. So lessons learned type of activity. Yes. What could I do better? But also being able to fail and fail forward so that it's okay to make a mistake and you're not terrified that you're going to get told off or hauled over okay. coals. So that sort of thing. Um, and that really helps you to learn for yourself as well. So you're spot on. It's the, the, the more experience you have and the more that you go through those situations, the greater self-awareness I think you have. And it's quite interesting, isn't it? I think you are more resilient generally as a, as a younger person, but you have the better skills to deal with stuff as you get a bit more experienced. Yeah, yeah. You've got more physical resources because you, you can go without sleep for a few more nights and it doesn't matter if you don't quite eat so well. But yeah, as you, as you get more mature... Um, there's a little bit more sensibleness goes on I think yes the days of several pints of beer on a Friday wrapped up with a kebab at the end of the night are long gone (laughs) (laughs) so uh, that's interesting isn't it being aware Mm. of what makes you personally resilient able to cope with the stresses and strains of everyday life but let's look at that from an organizational perspective if i'm running Mm. an organization let's say it's a marketing team of 20 people or it's a bigger business or maybe it's an agency and i'm looking at my team and thinking oh the next few months look a bit dicey the pipeline's looking a bit weak how are we as a team going to respond and react to this what are Mm. the things that i can do to help the team collectively to to build resilience so There's a few things that spring to mind just as you said that. So the first thing for me would be to have that conversation with them that says this. So that openness and honesty of leadership about having the right conversations. One of the things that I've learned when people get change sprung on them, uh, sometimes you can't tell everybody everything. So for example, um, M&A activity or anything that's stock exchange sensitive, you can't tell your teams in advance Mm. um, for obvious reasons. But where there is an opportunity to bring people in, say for example, the easiest one is new tech. So we've got new tech coming in. If you spring that on people without kind of having some sort of conversation with them about it explore ways that they can get involved then you are going to build up resistance before you've even started Mm. so the ability as a leader to be I don't like to use the word vulnerable but have an open conversation about this is where we're going to be what are you concerned about this is going to mean this but have a conversation because quite often it's a bit like coaching. We've all got answers inside ourselves. So how do we get the opportunity to open that up for people mm. and really give them the space to be able to support it? Because you don't have all the all the ideas yourself. None of us do. But collectively, you can achieve a lot more. Yes, I was I was listening to a podcast recently, an interview with Sir Clive Woodward, who used to be the mm. England head coach, and he was talking about 
his leadership style and how he got the best out of the England team running up to the World Cup final in 2003. And he talks a lot about this idea of teamship and teamship was their sort of central ethos and culture. And, and it was about empowering the team to tell him how they wanted him to lead and how that, that was a very effective way of, I suppose, galvanizing the team around how do they move forward? How do they make the changes that he needs to see for them to deliver performance? And you can't mm -hmm. argue with the result of that, can you? For, for no. those that don't support Orange and Rugby, that was the result of his work was England winning the World Cup in 2003, which mm -hmm. is fantastic. Yeah. So, so obviously within a, in a work environment, we see a lot of change. And I referenced it at the start of the call call not a call the episode the podcast that you know in marketing often in we see teams brought together companies go mm -hmm. through M&A agencies are bought and sold and we see different groups of people having to work together and there's often a bit of resistance to that I think part of it is resilience people not really wanting feeling like they can cope with that sort of change but also change in itself is something that a lot of people don't like we like the status quo generally, don't we? We like to feel comfortable, mm. particularly if we're in a comfortable employee, employed, pay-as-you-earn role. Yeah. So so is communication the key then, do you think, to overcoming that resistance to change? So, oh, there's lots of things. We could talk about this one. For, I could talk about this one for ages, Andy. Um, so part of the reason that I've learned over the last few years that, we resist change is the way that our brains work. So our brains are really kind of a survival machines. They're prediction machines. And I've got a great book that I can recommend at the end of the podcast. Um, so really understanding how our brains operate in these sorts of environments is really helpful. So if you imagine our brains, there's an older bit and there's a newer bit. And the newer bit is the prefrontal cortex, which helps us make sense of stuff. The older bit is what's kept us evolving as human beings since we became, we moved out of Neanderthal phase, basically. So if you imagine that you're walking across a savanna, you're back in whenever, millions of years ago or thousands of years ago, and you spot something moving in the grass, what's your reaction going to be? It's either going to be, is that thing trying to eat me or can I eat it, I would imagine. Yep. Okay. So that response, that fight, do I need to fight it? Do I need to run? Do I need yeah. to stand still and freeze? Is a really old response mechanism that we have in our brains. And if you think that maybe in the last 150 years since the Industrial Revolution started, our lives have changed immeasurably, mm. but our brains haven't caught up. Are we evolving so we, more slowly than the world? And everything we around us, yes, and yeah. the world that we're creating. So our brain, we're still responding in the same way. So it doesn't define the difference between a threat of somebody not liking me or I might lose my job to that thing moving in the grass. So that's what you get those responses. So sometimes our brain goes into that response when it perceives a threat, which could be, we're going to have a restructure, we're combining with these two teams. Oh God, what does that make me feel? Angry, worried, scared, excited, all those emotions. It's a really emotional response. So that's what you're getting when you start 
that change piece. So for marketeers particularly, there's so much shifting, but it's really good just to be aware that sometimes we're driven by by our brain rather than our logical brain. Yeah, th- th- that's right. There's a lot of, as you say, there's so much moving all the time in marketing, but there's a lot of emotion attached to that stuff as well. Mm. You know, marketeers, that's a bit of a generalization, but tend to be creative people. Uh, and you know, increasingly, of course, analytical as well with all the information we have available. But I think, you know, traditionally we've been more creative, perhaps emotionally driven people. Mm. And that's what enables us to, I think, understand the human condition and connect with people through communications. Mm. So, yeah, so if you've got that brain response uh, and you're in that situation, so to your point is understanding that that might be that that human condition piece, that's for me where communication feels like a really important element. So can I explain to people what's happening? Can I make it clear what that means for them? So what's in it for me is the classic phrase. I I don't mm. know if you use that a lot in your work, but it's looking at individuals or groups of stakeholders and understanding what that might look like for them, tailoring messages for that, understanding what's important for different groups of people when you're looking at change. Mm, okay. How important is leadership when it comes to change? Oh, goodness me. Very important. <laughs> <laughs> um Role modelling is one for me. So again, that how do I have an open conversation? I've some of the best leaders I've worked with or seen have been those where they've they've kind of got empathy and a high level of emotional intelligence around understanding people and how people might respond. Some of the worst examples I've either heard about or seen are when an announcement comes out for example by email we've we will have all experienced this and we've seen it covered by uh, on LinkedIn and all sorts of other different media pretty high profile cases right now if we look at a lot of the job losses in tech so at Twitter for example it was a pretty short abrupt public way to find out you weren't working at Twitter anymore wasn't it Mm. so for me wasn't kind of like the ideal role model for that so so yeah that's where it really plays out and if you think of that not just from an internal point of view but if you're a shareholder or you're a market looking in on that what does that tell you about the way that the organization runs or the leadership is running that organization so people are quite dispensable that's how it feels to me so Mm. I can just you know fob you off with with an email I mean it doesn't sit really well with me at all but hey it's interesting I was having a chat with a an entrepreneur yesterday a guy who's built an e-commerce business himself from scratch to now turning over 25 million dollars a year Wow! and he was talking about the challenges he's had in the last year in some falling revenues and for him the important thing here was how do we save costs without losing our people so that we can maintain our business and grow through this. And I thought that was a really powerful statement, really. If you're working in that organisation, you're going to be pretty happy that your leader's taking that perspective, I would think. Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> I would love to be in an organisation like that or work with one because that people-centred focus would really yeah. get you some interesting results. And going back to our previous point about I would imagine 
that he is having quite open conversations with his teams about how they could how they could contribute to that. It, it sounded exactly like that, actually. It, it was a very much, I mean, he's not got a massive team mm-hmm. enough to support a $25 million business. So he's got some people in his in his organisation. And it felt to me, the way he described it was, it was a very open culture, mm-hmm. which yeah. I think is important, particularly when we think about change or resilience is giving people the information, the communication they need to be able to to think, I suppose, to have the time to breathe, think, how is this going to affect me? What am I going to do to get through this period of change or this trouble that's coming? Mm. And there's um, a really interesting model from, I think it's Stephen Covey, which is spheres of influence and control, which when sometimes you feel that there's nothing within your control that you can manage when everything around you seems to be overwhelming. Um, it's around identifying what are the things that are in your gift to do something about. So there's always something that you that you have that can help you make a decision or things like I can choose what I eat, I can choose how I respond to people or react. I can choose how much TV I watch. <laughs> you know, all of those things, they're within our gift. So even though everything else is not in our gift or it can feel like that. So I would imagine that your entrepreneur is giving people a little bit more control around what they decide to do or how they might focus in mm. their work. So, so that's an interesting thought, really. I have to look up the spheres of influence and control. I have heard it before, but not read it. So something I need to come back to. Brilliant. I wonder whether we'd be having this conversation at all if we hadn't just come out the back of a pretty tough time during the pandemic in which everything changed, didn't it? And we've gone back to some of the old ways of working, but Lots of stuff changed permanently, I think, around how we work, how organisations, companies organise their labour. Was this a topic of importance pre-pandemic or is this something that because we've all got a heightened sense of what could go wrong and how it affects us that perhaps it's more of a topic of conversation? So I've done a couple of talks about this in the last six months and I usually start the conversation by saying that wellbeing and resilience are probably two of the biggest and overused words that we had in the last three years Mm. Um, and people have got a bit weary about it so when I say resilience I sometimes get a bit of an eye roll um, which is (laughs) I promise I haven't rolled my eyes you haven't at all no but so and and I can completely see why however I was talking about this and I was doing talks about resilience before the pandemic so what I think it's done it's a really good point, Andy, is I think it's totally put the spotlight on this. And then we've had things like immediately afterwards, we had the great resignation conversation about people having a reevaluation of their working lives. Then we've had quiet quitting, which is, you know, people choosing how much effort they put into their work, discretionary effort, I guess. And then there's all sorts of stuff like how do we get 50 plus people in the UK how do we get those back into work because a lot of them have left and yes. made career choices and so it's budget day today here so hopefully we'll see some uh, oh, ideas yes. from the government on that <laughs> this should be very interesting so yeah I think it's really put a spotlight on we've got into a rhythm 
of this is how we do things. And the pandemic broke that rhythm. So it, it made us stop and think. And I think that's probably what created that real focus on it. I think you're probably right. It's just heightened our awareness of the importance of certainly mm. personal well-being. Mm. Organisational resilience, I think, is very important. And and I, I'm going to be quite optimistic here. I feel like we're due a period of good news, of success, aren't we? You know, it's been, if we're honest, we look back since the Brexit debate started, it's been a pretty tough time, I would say, in the UK in terms of good news stuff. Mm. I think we're overdue some good times coming. And I hope mm. that this current slump is is temporary and that we're able to start seeing some growth and good times returning. Mm. So do you think then that we're better set up to either survive this hopefully short-term struggles and then grow into the future now that we're more aware of the needs to focus on well-being, on building resilience, the ability to handle change? I think, if I'm honest, I think it's a moving feast because the amount of stuff that we're all dealing with, it feels we've always had change. You know, I just mentioned previously the Industrial Revolution. So that's been a huge shift. Mm. Um, I One of the things that's really, I'll go off slightly on a tangent, but I think one of the positives as well that I've really noticed since the pandemic is people recognising the importance of relationships with others, so getting together. We really, we're social animals and we really missed being with other people apart from the people that we kind of got stuck in our houses with. like um, <laughs> Who we can't wait we did, to get away from. Who we couldn't get away from. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and so I think that social piece has really come to the fore as well. And, and that's a real factor in well-being and resilience is social relationships. So I think yeah. that if we if we can maintain that and if we can really look at how we can work closer in community and not just like local community, but how we can work together in organisations, in community and really build on that human connection piece. While at the same time, we've got AI going stratospheric over this side, we are still human beings and we get so much from that connection. So Uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And one of the real negative consequences of the pandemic is we have certainly in, in I suppose, white collar work. And we have an army of young people that are new to the world of work mm. who for them, the norm is working on their own, working remotely, getting stuff done, working over Teams and Zoom and things. Mm. And I think that's a ticking time bomb because those people aren't getting as well as we might have done the learning experiences, the network building, the community that comes from being in the same space with people on a regular basis. Yeah. And I I fear that that might be a challenge for us in the future. No, I completely agree with you, Andy. I think I had conversations during the pandemic, as I'm sure you did with people who were um, work, they were house share. So they literally had their bedroom, which was, which served everything, office, and, and yes. I, you know, and sleeping space and and living space, and I really don't want us to forget that that we don't need to keep doing that. 
So no, I agree, and and I, I had many occasions where I was in a Zoom or a Teams meeting, and you know, in the background, you're clearly in some young person's bedroom. I don't really want that inside, and <laughs> they shouldn't be sharing it either. Yeah. That there's got to be that separation between mm. home and work. I think to be healthy. Uh, yes, and there's also. Uh, again this is probably a topic that we could talk about for hours but pulling people back into five days a week in an office is not the answer either no so again the conversation what works because we've got what I think the pandemic really highlighted is how different we all are but how much we all have in common too so people homeschooling I don't have kids at home but I didn't have that stress other people did so it's just one example of and we've just talked about young people as well so it's just understanding all the time that we are different but we do have so much in common as well mm. as humans so again not losing sight of that and and hoiking people in five days a week not big fan of that <laughs> i think people have tried haven't they and it, it, it hasn't worked very well <laughs> no it hasn't <laughs> so i guess if we if we kind of sum it up a little bit then in terms of you know, we know the importance of resilience, creating mm. people and organizations that are able to cope with change. A big part of that is an awareness as to what makes you as an individual resilient. And part of that is well-being. Mm. And from an organizational perspective, aware of the fact that we're a company made up of individuals that each have their own needs and wants and concerns to help them become resilient. Good leadership helps us to create resilient workplaces. Yeah. And leadership, we could rattle on about that for quite some time. I we think could. <laughs> I don't think anybody would listen to us, Joe. So it's probably not a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> but we know leadership's important. Mm. I guess who is it that you look up to and think, you know, that that organization or that leader's doing a really good job in empowering their team, empowering, creating a culture where they have resilient people able to cope with change. Mm. So interestingly, I'm going to give you two examples. So one is someone who's not here anymore, and that's Damonita Roddick. Ah, okay. Um, of the body shop fame. Of the body shop fame. And I read her book back in the 90s, Body and Soul, and I read it now and still see quite a lot of, pretty much all of it actually as being relevant to good leadership for me. And it's a personal thing as well, because it's all about good, purposeful business. There's so mm. many lessons we could learn from her, I still think now. So I will constantly refer to her. And then other organisations, this is a really interesting question because it fluxes and it depends who um, who I see. But stories like the one that you've told during this podcast about your entrepreneur are the enlightening stories that I hear every week. There's really good stuff going on out there, and that tends to get shouted out by the not-so-greats. Mm. So I'm not going to give an example from that one, but what I would encourage people to do is look for the good news and not just focus on the big organisations that might be doing it well, that there's some really great smaller organisation mid-size that are doing mm. it really well and want to do it better. So... I'm really looking forward to hearing more of those stories. 
I think that's relatable for most of us as well because most of us don't work for an enormous organization like an yeah. Apple or a Shell or someone along those lines. Most of us work in SMEs. So mm-hmm. having some of those case studies, examples of smaller organizations that are growing and creating a culture and environment for success, I think is really useful. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I love I, I love the way Dame Anita Roddick approached growing the body shop. I haven't mm-hmm. read her book, so that's another one on my reading list. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I was going to ask you if there are any books that you would recommend oh, around goodness, resilience yes. and change. And that may or may not have been on your reading list. But <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's definitely on my reading list. So the one I said that I would reference is a book called Neuroscience in Organisational Change. Okay. And it's by Hilary Scarlett. And it's a fabulous read. And when you read that, you understand why we behave the way we do. It sounds like it could be a very academic type book, but you're, no. you're not at all. No, she <laughs> writes it in a way that there is some academ- academia in there. It's science based, which is a huge bonus. But she does. She's a communicate. I think is a communicator by trade. So she turns it into understandable stuff. So Perfect. Okay. Um, I'll have to li- dig that out. Yes. You've got another one on your... Oh, I've got a few if you want. Have them. you? <laughs> Go on, give, me, give me one more then, one more top recommendation. One more. Oh, I've got quite a few. Emotional Agility by Susan David. Okay. And that's around how we manage our emotions, full stop. Which I think would be an interesting read for the... Uh, emotional body of marketeers that hopefully are listening to this yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) amazing joe thanks so much for coming on the show and just exploring a bit about resilience and change and leadership and these really interesting and important topics i think to most people Mm. in in the world of work these days i really appreciate that so if people wanted to find out more about you what's the best place for them to to look you up and to connect so Two places, really. One is on LinkedIn. I'm Joe Twizzleton. And the other place is on my website, which is twistconsultants.co.uk. And you can sign up there for uh, regular updates from me around all these topics. And I generally post once a week around something on that. Amazing. So this week is all about how I worked with some nine to 11 year olds last week to help them understand what a change consultant does. <laughs> I don't imagine that was an easy conversation. No, it wasn't. <laughs> my, my kids are in that age bracket and they haven't got a clue what I do. <laughs> yes. And that, that was one of my questions of them. So yeah, yeah. really interesting. <laughs> Fantastic. Joe, at some point we're going to have to talk about climate change, but not on this particular episode. No, 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 don't worry. We're going off on a tangent, but we both have a real passion for how, as a as a community of marketeers, we can understand the, the our impact of climate change. But if we go mm-hmm. off on that now, we've got at least another half an hour, and we're not we're just not going. No. There. <laughs> <laughs> but again, thanks so much for coming on to the show. I really enjoyed having a conversation Pleasure. with you, Joe. Thanks, Andy.